Welcome to Starkey Soundbites. I'm your host, Dave Fabry, Starkey's Chief Innovation Officer. This month marks the 32nd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was signed into law on July 26, 1990 by then President George H.W. Bush. One of the key players who helped make the ADA a reality is a man who is very near and dear to our hearts here at Starkey. Richard Pimentel is a passionate advocate for those with disabilities, including those with hearing loss. We're honored to talk with him here on this episode of the podcast, and he joins us from his home over Zoom today. Richard, welcome to Starkey Soundbites. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, thank you thank you for having me. Starkey is forever my favorite company in the universe. Mm, well, I've had the opportunity to hear you speak uh, quite a few times to our team at Starkey and then also some of our partners. And uh, you never fail to impress with uh, enlightening stories, inspiring stories. And, I, you know, your, your story itself is just incredible. And I appreciate your being with us on the podcast today to share it. It's really a story of determination that has inspired so many people and led to real change in our country. Uh, and thank you for your continued service We'll talk a little bit about how you acquired your hearing loss in service to our country and then your continued service for, for those with disabilities to this day. But uh, let's start from the beginning. Where, where did you grow up? And, and tell us about your family circumstances growing up a little bit. Well, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, hmm? which is a great town. Beautiful. It's a town of rivers and bridges and one-way streets and militant bicyclists <laughs> uh, yep and i was uh, i was raised by my grandmother who was uh uh disabled uh she had a condition you rarely hear about today uh, i was called milk leg hmm. uh women who were pregnant way back then would have problems and she could barely walk and wow. so she uh uh, she raised me, and we were poor. We were uh, we were uh, raised on welfare, and uh, uh, it was uh, it was kind of tough. But since everybody was poor, uh, we had no idea that we were, there was any problem. Right, so, you, we uh, level set. Out. We don't even realize where we are just in that moment. And we you, everyone starts where they where they begin and uh, it takes us in different directions. But that what an interesting perspective raised by your grandmother who had that disability. But, you know, you just sort of make do if you say what year was that? When were you born? 1948. 48. OK, so continuing then with that. And how early did you know you had a hearing loss? Was that acquired as a result of the injuries suffered in Vietnam, or, or did you have uh, any hearing loss even uh, when you were young that you knew about? No, I, uh, I, uh, I couldn't afford to go to, to college because we were poor. Mm -hmm. uh, but the government was offering this really great program mm -hmm. when I was 18, uh, where you could trade government service for an entire college education. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they called it Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I when I when I, I put in for that scholarship, um, I was brought in. And I uh, I served in the 101st Airborne Division, Screaming Eagles, 101. And uh, one one of the Starkey family, and I'll go ahead and make the jump and call him one of the uh, family. Uh, uh, was my commanding officer, 
General Colin Powell. No kidding. Wow. He was your what commanding a, officer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a great man. Yeah. What a great man. Had the privilege uh, to meet him myself, and he indeed was, and it's unfortunate his passing just a couple of years ago now. Oh, that it broke it broke my heart. Yeah. He was he was someone you could trust. Yeah. If if Colin Powell told me mm, that the sky was falling, <laughs> I would have beat Chicken Little to the bunker. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when I was in Vietnam, uh, I was in a bunker, speaking of bunkers, mm-hmm. and a rocket hit. So there was a, an explosion on the outside of the bunker and an implosion on the inside. And I, I came out with a traumatic brain injury uh, and a major significant hearing loss. And, if, you know, I know you folks know veterans yes. uh, that hearing loss is one of the most common uh injuries that that veterans face yeah in fact hearing loss and tinnitus are ringing in your ears which no doubt you suffered as well are the two most common uh uh, health conditions reported by veterans because of those extreme uh, events either from gunfire or in your case uh, uh, you know getting hit in the bunker uh we know with uh some of the ieds and and you know we now we still have all really uh, there are precious few World War II vets still alive, but between Korean War, Vietnam, and then you look at the the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, and war has changed. But one thing that has remained the same is noise, and and many it's of those loud. yeah, it's loud, and uh, many war of those veterans lose hearing or suffer hearing damage that leads to yeah. ringing in their ears, and uh, and I'm, I'm I'm so sorry to. I, I knew that before, but to, to again share that, it must have been very traumatic for you. In addition, other injuries that you suffered in that bunker explosion? Yes. Uh, a unfortunately common uh, uh, combination, yeah. uh, a hearing loss and a traumatic brain injury yeah. Yeah. From, from the explosion. So I had to come back and, uh, and learn to do everything all over again. Mm. I uh, had to learn to walk again, mm-hmm. had to learn to be able to talk again. And then I'm, I've got I've got the hearing loss. So that's when I first knew that uh, there was a problem and I didn't know anything yeah. about hearing or hearing losses at that time. Boy, and, and traumatic brain injury, unfortunately, continues to be a major source of uh, of. Uh, conflict that occurs from some of the Iraq and Afghanistan oh, wars and PTSD oh, yeah, from, from that, that goes war. comorbidity yeah. with that with the with the PTSD hearing loss ringing and TBI and and I know there's a lot of work in this area but it is very challenging for many veterans and and having worked at Walter Reed Army Medical Center I did um, see quite a few veterans as well I, w- I worked as a civilian in the in the audiology and speech department but I I did see many active duty uh, and and veteran uh, individuals who were uh, uh, seen at Walter Reed during the time, late uh, 80s, early I, 90s. I I admire that. I'm a big fan of Walter Reed. Yeah. I, I went in and saw them uh, use a 3D printer hmm. to print out uh, a skull, like like a little jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. when someone would, 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 would have a, a traumatic brain injury. And they, they could just print it out and then place it in the skull and it would fit perfectly. And we saw that happen. It was one of the great medical uh, advances that has helped uh, 
uh, veterans during the Gulf War because there were so so many of those uh, all those improvised explosions devices and causing all of that. So many innovations came out of that center in the research on un- the unfortunate consequences of of the conflict, but led to so many advances. And I think with prosthetics, and then as you say with uh, traumatic brain injury, and uh, I really treasure my time there uh, that I had uh, early in my career, and I think it really helped me understand because I, I I was born you know just a little bit after you, so uh, I was uh, I didn't have that same opportunity for the scholarship, uh, although um, you know I've worked with a lot of my friends uh, uh, did go serve in Vietnam, and then I was a little too old for some of the later conflicts, and but but it gave me a great appreciation for um, uh, the service uh, that you've given and then continuing that journey. Um, what led you? I mean, so many people don't realize the impact of the Americans with Disabilities Act and the work that you put into that, along with many others. But I mean, you know, we didn't have that before 1990. And, and that, you know, that's only a little over 30 years ago. And, um, and talk a little bit about what led to your involvement and your passion, your deep passion for ensuring that this bill uh, get passed and, uh, and ensure the, the rights uh, for those with disabilities under that ADA Act. Well, I, I came back in 1969 mm-hmm. and I uh, went to the, the VA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this may seem odd to you, but uh, when I was disabled in Vietnam, being raised as a very impoverished in an impoverished home, uh, I looked I looked at my uh, my injury as an opportunity to go to college. I thought, you know, it's, now I can go to college, and then so I, I went to a, a the rehab counselors in the in the VA, and they they looked at my diagnosis. And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I was a speaker in high school. I was a really good speaker. And I want to be a business consultant. Uh, and and the counselor looked at me and said, no, you can't. Wow. You can't be a speaker. I said, why? He said, because you're deaf. He said, deaf people can't be speakers because pretty soon you're going to be speaking like a deaf person and no one wants to hear that. And you can't be a business consultant because you've got a traumatic brain injury. And how can you, how can you consult with people? He says, we have to find you a job that fits your disability. Placing a lid on the, on what the expectation is for what you could accomplish in life because of your your disability. I had all of these dreams and here's basically what he told me. You have to modify your dreams. Hmm. You have to give up your dreams Hmm. to fit your circumstances. And I said, well, what what do deaf people do? Hmm. And he says, well, we have a book. Do you have a book about what deaf people can do? Hmm. He says, yeah. And he looked at it and he said, shoe repair. Wow. You'll be really good at shoe repair. We could put you in shoe repair. I said, what What do people with traumatic brain injuries do? And he said, not much. Oh, my. So it's, it's shoe repair. Wow. And I thought about that because I never realized before that 
people with disabilities were not just blocked from doing the things they wanted to do, but they were pushed in to other directions based on whatever impairment they had. That this job's good for the blind and this job's good for the deaf. And I thought something is seriously wrong with that. Yeah, it's early in my career, I remember uh, working with those with significant hearing loss. Many of them worked in the printing press area for newspapers. Because again, that was a very loud area. And they thought, oh, well, we'll take people who are deaf and put them in that area because then we don't worry about them losing more hearing loss. But again, talk about just funneling someone in, not from their aptitude and their ability, but thinking about the disability. Yeah, they weren't weren't doing it because of who I was. They were doing it because of what I had. Mm. And one of the the great lessons for people who work in this field and and you know what I think of what I think of Starkey is that it's not the disability that comes first. It's the person that comes first. And and one of one of the things I figured out even at the VA at that time, I said to myself, you know, I am, I have just been told that I have to change my dreams to fit my situation. I said, you know, no, I'm going to change my situation to fit my dreams. So it really changed the trajectory of your life. By, by totally. giving you that limitation of the diagnosis of we're going to channel you into a shoemaker. Um, and then you said, uh-uh, uh, not, not doing that. I'm not going to be funneled into that. I'm going to change the system. That's right. And I, I would have been the worst shoemaker in the history of the world. <laughs> did, sure. you ever, did you ever for a moment consider or have you along the way considered what it would have been like to, to be a shoe with no disrespect to shoemakers. I mean, trust me, oh, I've known no. a few, but, but you know, if you had do, no interest great. in it, but only the, the only thing qualifying you was your hearing loss. I mean, it, it's, it seems absurd. And yet this conversation was only taking place less than 50 years ago. I think for many of the younger practitioners listening to this, to realize this is not a conversation from a hundred years ago that you read about in a history book. This is 50 no. years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I, I, I went in, I got into college, I found a professor who, who said, I'll, I'll, I'll teach you speech. You know, I know, I know who you are from high school. Mm. That was the orator. Mm-hmm. And then I found that there was a lot of people at my school who had disabilities who were being told the same thing. Oh my. And then what I found out was that we were excluded physically excluded if you had a physical barrier, uh, Hmm. excluded uh, because of my my brain injury and and because of my my hearing, people who were blind. And most of my friends uh, in college were people with disabilities and the disability movement was just starting to grow Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm And remember what I wanted to be, I wanted to be a speaker, I wanted to be a consultant, I, I was an old, high school orator whatever that's worth mm-hmm. and and i i saw what this movement was about i made i made friends with a with a, with a fellow that uh, uh that had cerebral palsy uh his name was arthur honeyman 
and his uh, he had pretty severe cerebral palsy. But he was he was a genius too. He was an evil genius, but he was he was a genius. Yeah. And and his speech was unintelligible. Yeah. No one could understand it because he spoke in a very guttural kind of way, and 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 uh, uh, his his high notes were the high frequencies were kind of garbled. And uh, but the really what he was saying was in the lower frequencies, but it would mix anybody who had regular hearing up. They couldn't tell what he was For talking sure. about. You add in the hearing loss. What? Yeah. I had no upper register hearing because it seems like that's what you lose in combat. It is. Is you, you lose the upper. It is. All I had was a lower register. Providence. I understood art. I was the only person in the entire university that understood every word he said because yeah. of my hearing loss. Well, and, and, and I think also, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'd forgotten um, this part of your journey. And when I was growing up, uh, uh, I had a neighbor across the street that became a close friend of mine growing up, Peter Klein, who, had, who was imprisoned by cerebral palsy as well. His brain was was a genius like you said he was a musical genius his musical collection was unparalleled in the neighborhood but i think i'll beg to differ i think that your hearing loss helped but the fact that you saw him as an individual and you saw him as a person not by this you know the body that that scares people in some cases unfortunately with cerebral palsy you know because his motions are are, are jerky if, if if you know certain aspects and there are many different variations of cerebral palsy but but I think I, I'll beg to differ and say that your hearing loss probably helped. But the fact that you were able to see him as an individual rather than a disability um, and, and channeling into limiting him in the way that your view of him, because so many people view those with cerebral palsy in particular as uh, not only affecting their body, but their mind. And, and as you said, he was an evil oh, genius. Sure. Yeah, he was an evil genius. Uh, is 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 uh, uh well, his, his IQ was over my cholesterol level. So <laughs> anyway, at that time, and, and this may surprise some of your audience, at that time, people with disabilities were separated from the rest of society mm -hmm. by law. Mm -hmm. uh, there were things called the ugly law, and you may want to look them up. Go ahead and Google or whatever you whatever you use write the word ugly law, throw Harvard law in there. There's a big article about uh, 23 states that had laws that said people who are crippled, maimed, deformed, or otherwise unsightly or improper per persons may not be out in the public thoroughfare. People with amputations had to cover them up when they were in public, or they could be arrested for offending the the, the population. Now, the many many of your listeners are, are simply not going to believe that ever happened in the United States. Not that was, long ago. It was the law, and it wasn't that. You know, you know what ended all that? Thirty years ago, the ADA. Yes, sir. And 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 the and, and the crux of it was that I explained to Art about the dreams that we must change our circumstances, mm -hmm. not our dreams, and. That that was my goal. Art and I became friends. Art called me one night uh, at the dorm. All he could do was knock over his phone 
and then the operator would come on and he'd make art sounds mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they whatever they give it they'd send it to my phone and he said pancakes birthday uh-huh. 10 bucks <laughs> So I knew what he wanted. He wanted yeah. me to go to his room, get him dressed, take the wheelchair down, three sets of stairs, go to the pancake house, have have pancakes. When we got there, they refused the service. Wow. Incredible. And the, they, the waitress even said that, that uh, how dare he come out in public where people were trying to eat. And uh, she was going to call the police and have us arrested. To which Art said, call him. Mm-hmm. And she did. And the police came and said, uh, if you don't leave, we're going to take you to jail. And Art said, I want to go to jail. Richard wants to go to jail, too. I'm thinking, no, I don't. (laughs) Wait a minute, recruiting me in this. (laughs) I I want to be a business consultant. I don't even think you'd be a shoemaker if you went to jail. Anyway, uh, but I said, I wasn't going to leave him. You know why? Because what I learned in Vietnam is the most important thing Mm that I carry with me today. Mm-hmm. You never leave a fallen comrade on the battlefield mm. under any circumstances at all. Mm. And what I realized when I got home that shaped my entire life was all my comrades do not fall on the battlefield. Some of them come home to fall. Mm. And some of them mm. are home all the time and fall. And I wasn't going to leave art. I said, I'm going to jail too. And we went to jail and we became a cause celebrity hmm. because people said that that's the, that's the stupidest arrest I've ever heard in my life. And arrested um, for pan. We, what are you in for? Pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Pancakes. Wow. Yeah. There we go. And the, uh, uh, we hmm. decided that we were going to change that law, that one little wow. law in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And that threw me in to the larger disability movement. And because I was a speaker and I was totally motivated, mm-hmm. uh, I became uh, one of the uh, uh, main people in the disability movement. And I yeah. I ended up writing the uh, rules and regulations for the enforcement of the ADA and uh, working for the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commissions and making sure that vets were going to be covered uh, under that. And uh, what I knew was this, and I know that you know it, and Bill Austin knows it totally. I told him once, and he he is like he'd come home. Mm-hmm. I said, very simply, uh, when you save someone's dream, you have saved their life. 100%. And what you do at Starkey is you save people's dreams. And by doing that, you are saving their lives. Oh, that's, a that's... Pow- a powerful message. And for, for those listening to this podcast who are involved in service provision, you know, taking our technology and then using their expertise to provide the outcomes to individuals. I think several points here that you've made are so powerful of thinking beyond the audiogram. Too often, I find, you know, people start, you get in, you get busy and you start looking at the hearing test and as you're going through and you're just thinking about what technology you're going to apply 
without thinking about you're working with more than the person's ears. You're working with that individual and everything that brought them up to, to that day in their journey. And how many times have people with hearing loss and other disabilities heard what they can't do? And understanding that I think is equally, if not more important to making sure that you're matching whatever gain targets to get a little, uh, speaking a little jargon for the people on the, on the, uh, that are professionals listening to this. Mm-hmm. It, there's so much beyond the audiogram that goes into that individual seated across from you. And, and I think you've articulated that so well. Well, the, the other issue is that it's, 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 it's not a, a, a one horse race uh, for persons with disabilities. Uh, if we're talking about employment or socialization, they're also dealing with someone else. So uh, changing attitudes towards people with disabilities important Mm -hmm. but we also realized that we need to go to employers we need to go to teachers we need to go to counselors we need to go to the general public and not just change their attitudes about people with disabilities we need to change their attitudes about themselves about their ability to work with people with disabilities about, uh, about how to focus not on the person's disability, but the person with the disability. Right. And that's how employment, that's how socialization, that, that's how all of this happens. And it's a partnership. Yeah. And one of the, you know, you've got the, the technology down better than, in my opinion, any company even dreamt of, of, of having it. Uh, but what we have found out and what I've found out is that teaching people with disabilities to effectively interact and make other people feel comfortable with them uh, is one of the keys to everyone being successful. And uh, that is what we focused on, not just the law, but uh I designed a program years ago for young people with disabilities, teaching them how to work better with their teachers, how to work better with their classmates, how, how to uh, even work better with with their relatives with with having having the uh, uh, having the disability. And I think that uh, uh, there is a uh, uh, if you if you don't mind no. uh, uh, a Starkey story that I love. Sure. Uh, just to illustrate what I want to say. Years ago, I got a call from a counselor here in uh, where I live in. I live in Boise, Idaho. Oh, beautiful area. And they said, we've we've got a little girl here who's deaf and uh, hearing aids aren't working for. And the mother doesn't know what to do. And she's very poor. And she wanted to know if someone could come teach her little girl how to be a good deaf girl, Hmm. a proper deaf Hmm. girl. Hmm. And I thought is this call really happening? Mm-hmm. I, said, I said, okay, uh, I'll come talk to her. And I, I did, I went and I, and I talked with her. Oh, she's a beautiful little child. Uh, she was 12, I think at the time. And I, I said, let me see your hearing aids. And, you know, see, when I came back, I could, there were no hearing aids that worked for me because of the frequencies and, they, and the distortion too, no doubt. Right. Yeah. When I, when I, when I, when I, when I was in Vegas, I was asked to give a talk 
I, I met I met Bill, I, I met Penny, and uh, Bill found out that I'd helped with the ADA, and uh, uh, I, I had a hearing impairment, and uh, that's waving a red flag in front of a bull. And uh, <laughs> he says, well, we got to fix you up. And then I, I said the words that uh, I, I, I thought he was going to attack me. Uh, I said, hearing aids don't work for me. And he said, you're coming. Yeah, that placed a limit company. on him. And he took that as a personal yeah, challenge. He did. And I, I said, they just don't have the technology. And he said, we're going to, you come in here. We're going to, we're going to look. I said, I said, what if you don't have anything that'll help? He looked at me quite seriously and said, then we'll invent something. I believe him. Yeah. I, yeah, I work with the man it. too. And, and I know exactly what you, you knew what you were doing and you placed a limit on him to challenge, to see how he could help you better. And he took it personally and he continues to this day, as you did. know. And he, he did it. Yeah. And he did it and he continues to be one of the most innovative guys that I that I were and his energy I wish I could bottle it um, you know oh even my, at, yeah. at at eighty um, he has more energy than most fifty year olds. Anyway, I, I I called Bill immediately. Yeah, I said I got a little girl and the mother wants me to teach her to be a deaf girl. Bill says, "How soon can you get her on the plane?" <laughs> yep, mother too. Wow, and we did, and of yeah. course he of course did what Bill does. Yeah. And she came back. She had wonderful hearing aids. But here's my point. A year later, even though she's got the best hearing aids you can have, a year later, she calls and says, I'm not doing, I was doing well in school, but now I'm not doing well in school. And I think I might have to quit. I said, why? And she said, because of this. Here, the hearing aids are great. But sometimes people will not look at me or the, the way they'll, they'll speak, and I won't hear what they have to say. And so I'll say to them, what did you say? Could you repeat that? What was that again? And then they'll just look at me like they don't want to talk to me anymore. And when I ask them to repeat it, you know what they'll say? They'll say, never mind. It wasn't important. And I said, what do you really hear when they say that to you? Mm -hmm. She said, they're saying, never mind, you're not important. You're not important. Yeah. And then I don't want to talk to them anymore, and I'm not doing well in school anymore. She said, do you have a solution for that? Hmm. Do you have a technical solution for that? I said, no. I have a human solution yeah. for that that works with the technical solution. She said, what is it? I said, here's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to go to school tomorrow, and I want you to find everyone who said that to you, all the teachers, all the students, and I want you to go up to them and say, you know, sometimes I don't hear so well. I've got hearing aids, and they're wonderful, but some maybe the way you speak or the cadence or whatever, and I'll ask you to repeat it. I'd like you to know why I'm doing that. I'm doing that because I want to know what you're saying. I'm doing it because you're important to me and what you say is important to me. That's why I'm asking you to repeat it because I care and you're important. She went to over 30 people 
in her school and said that the people she was having problems with. Guess what happened? It all worked. And they realized, oh my, because she said, if you say something to me and I say something back and it doesn't make sense to you, how it started, I give you permission to say, what did you think I said? Right. And, and let me tell you the best way to communicate with me. And let's work all of this out. So the combination that will work the best is the best technology in the world coupled with the communication, interaction, love and goodwill and patience of both the people involved in the communication. Bingo. And I believe that that would be a killer combination to help people who, who are hearing impaired. And you've got the, you've got the, oh my gosh, have you got the technology, but uh, we're training young people to do that, to explain to people, here's what you need to do to effectively work with me. And here's what, here's what do I need to do to work with you and make people feel comfortable. Making that linkage will set you up for life with a job with your education, with all of that. So it's that wonderful combination between the two. Absolutely. And, and it's the, you know, the technology and then the caring of the caring of the two individuals in the communication and the caring of the professional to help understand the, the challenges faced by the individual that will you can you can't accomplish everything with technology alone or caring alone. You need you need both in order to achieve both. that solution. And then those simple tools. I think you know you've really provided some ways for young professionals in our field to advocate for their patients and advocate by ensuring. I mean, Tim Shriver talks about the inclusion revolution within Special Olympics, and I know that's you know, a kind of also a part of your your message too, is really not thinking about what that disabled person is labeled with or what they can't do, but trying to provide access and accessibility and with, with ADA, uh, with what you've done to ensure that they have the opportunities right. to, to be included in life. And disability in and of itself is not a bad thing. No. Uh, no, think about how it changed your trajectory. The challenge oh, that you totally. had put you on a different path than you ever would have had if you hadn't had adversity. Do you know what people with disabilities tell me? When we, we ask them, what makes you successful? And what they'll say is, while the disability is a challenge, the challenge itself educates me. Yeah. Uh, and we say, well, what characteristics have you developed because of your disability? Uh, and, and one person said, well, uh, creativity. Mm -hmm. What if you're in a wheelchair and you're at home and, and you've got uh, uh, kitchen cabinets and you have to get the plate up? Mm -hmm. uh, up. How do you do that? You've, you've got to be creative. And we, we put a, 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 I don't want to say lying, it cheapens it, but, but we put a little saying together uh, and the disability community has sort of embraced it. What we say is, my disability has given me the gift, the, the genius of creativity based on necessity. Absolutely. And so if you were going to hire someone, wouldn't you want someone who's creative? Of course. Absolutely. Also, what if I told you that disability will give you confidence? 
How will it give you confidence? Well, because you're gonna be challenged. I mean, when you're mm -hmm. challenged, sometimes you're gonna fail, mm -hmm. but that's okay. Because you know what confidence is? Confidence isn't that you'll never fail. Confidence is that when you do struggle, you will get up again and you will go on. Nelson Mandela said it best. You know what he said? He said, I never fail. I never lose. And I thought, well, that is about as arrogant as anything I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Well, how's he going to follow this up? And he said, I don't fail. I either win or I learn. Yeah, that's great. Win or learn. You don't win Not or the fail. Alternative. Win or lose. Yeah, it's win you or win learn. You win or learn. That's and awesome. I learn from it. Just like that little girl learned. How to make people feel comfortable with her? We're working with a big company, and and one of their top executives uh, had a ma major hearing loss, and he was about ready to lose his job because he, he he would have meetings and he couldn't keep track of it. He was trying to to people would start talking and interrupting, and he wouldn't know who's talking. And 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 uh, uh, we talked with him and said, well, what can we learn from this? And he says, well, I am in charge, but uh, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, why don't we talk to them? And we got the group together and he said, this is my problem. When we talk, I'm not sure who's talking. And I lose about a 30 year conversation. And it's hard to catch up and, you know, important. And one of the, one of the group, it wasn't me, one of the group said, I remember in grade school before we talked, we had to raise our hand. One person at a time that way one person at a time so if we all did that you'd know who's talking and you could focus on us right away couldn't you and he said yeah they did that and he, he has one of the he had one of the most successful departments in a multinational corporation when they thought they were going to have to let him go because of his hearing loss because he was able to communicate with the people about what his needs were. So that that wonderful technology, but most important, it is the caring, it is the belief. Your folks, the most important thing that you give your customers is not the technology. Yeah. The most important thing you give your customers is your belief and faith in their future. Absolutely. Well, and you know, I think so many things that you said there. We should all learn in, in conversation to raise our hands so we're not talking over each other. But it is especially useful for those with hearing loss to, to minimize the background, to know who's talking, to be visually be able to see that. And just such a wonderful example of how innovation sometimes comes out of tech, not, out, not related to technology, that raising the hand and turn taking can provide benefits in excess of where the technology can. But uh, I want to transition and, and want to say, first of all, I mean, how cool is it? Not many of us have had a movie made of our life uh, or a portion of our life. And actually, uh, someone I know very well, Steven Swalich, was the, the director yeah. of The Music Within, the movie where Ron Livingston played you. Uh, mm -hmm. Michael Sheen was in it, Rebecca De Mornier, Leslie Nielsen, I think, played somebody we know uh, in that. And it's a wonderful <laughs> film that really chronicles um, your life story, uh, at least a portion of it. And I would encourage people to, uh, I'm sure it's out there on Netflix or, or some, uh, oh, some of the streaming yeah. services where they can find yeah. it. 
and, and learn a little bit more about what it was that uh, was your life story up until, uh, you know, the point where you uh, worked to, uh, to drive change with ADA and with attitudes about those with disability. And, but now I want to transition to what you're up to today, because I see where th- this time has flown by and we're, we're oh, almost out of time there. already. But, um, you know, you talk about technology and we got a pretty good technologist working at Starkey, our chief technology officer, Dr. Achen Bolmick. Um, yeah, it comes from Intel, but he's been with us now for five years uh, and really helping drive uh, the use of artificial intelligence, uh, the use of embedded sensors in hearing aids. And I know you're wearing those devices and you mentioned that you feel they're quite sophisticated. What areas do we need to continue to work on and do better? And, and, and uh, what other advice do you have for technologists working in this field that is ultimately about changing humanity? Well, I, I, I don't fool over on the engineering side. Uh, oh, Arjun is, is, is doing wonderful things because he is not just technology, it's the human side. Mm-hmm. He and his son, his son is a prodigy, uh, uh, working to d- develop uh, early warning systems for people with disabilities with, with all the, uh, oh gee, the fires and tornadoes and all the mm-hmm. climate change stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to give them an early warning and communication and to set something up which was, was marvelous in, in, in saving life. What, what I say is let us marry the, the best of technology with the best of the, the humanity and teach, teach people with disabilities to, to, to reach out and communicate and teach people who work with people with disabilities on how to effective, effectively uh, communicate as well. Uh, I'm putting together a, a program on how to teach people with disabilities to make other people feel comfortable with their disability, uh, and and, and that that will be for hearing or cerebral palsy or 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 whatever. And trust me, uh, working on that now, and uh, I want to write it in such a way that 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 I can give it to Starkey and. All, all your people can have that, not only to say, here's the technology, but here's what you can do to realize your dreams and and, and recruit people to be part of, of who you are. Hmm. And, 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 and to look at the disability not as a tragedy, but to look at it as a learning experience. And I, I know there's time, but I want to, if I can, it will only take two minutes. Sure. Can, can I talk at it? Yes. I wrote something mm-hmm. the other day. And I thought of Starkey when I wrote it. And if you don't mind, nope. and if, if you like, I'll, I'll send it to you if anyone wants this. But I, I wrote this originally uh, 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 for a group of people who tried to get people jobs. Okay. So, this is called baggage or backpack. Okay. When companies consider hiring someone, they may be worried that the person they're interviewing is carrying baggage. The answer to that question is probably yes. We all carry baggage of one kind or another. As many of my friends did in my generation, I came home from Vietnam with my share of baggage, a hearing loss, a traumatic brain injury, and agent orange poisoning. 
However, I learned from my experiences and I no longer think of what happened to me as baggage. I embraced it. I learned from it. What was once my baggage now has become my backpack, not something burdensome and heavy that I begrudgingly carry. It is now something valuable and precious that teaches lessons and develops new skills and inspires me to be creative every day. Helen Keller once said, the road of life has many curves, but a curve is not a dead end unless you choose not to make the turn. Turn your baggage into your backpack and help others do so as well. There and your greatest journey is still ahead of you. Believe in others so that they may believe in themselves. Lesson taught, lesson learned. Whoa. Okay, I, I can't follow up with anything after that. Please do send that to us. And for those listening to this podcast, um, we'll make it available to them because it's just beautiful. And um, may, may life it's for everyone move from that, you know, into the backpack from their baggage. And I think it is with, without the baggage, it's hard to transform into the backpack to provide that opportunity for learning. And I think you said it, I can't go any further and we're just going to stop. I do want to say uh, for Achen, I, I appreciate your sharing that anecdote about your work uh, with Rowan. And I would also say that Ava, his daughter, I don't know whether you've had a chance to meet her yet, but she's Not equally brilliant and focused Whoa. both on the technology and the humanity. And I think if for each of us um, that, that, that worries about what technology means for our future, the humanity in combination with technology can achieve great things. And I think what you said about backpacks uh, and baggage is so telling. And I appreciate very much your sharing the time with us today on this podcast. And, I, and, and it's just a privilege and honor to speak with yeah. you. Well, thank you. And I, I just have to say just one thing a lot of people don't know. The Starkey family, Bill and Tanny inspired me and my wife. They saved my life when I was not doing well. We now have adopted 10 homeless children and we are raising them. Uh, and my role model for what's important in life is Bill and Tanny and your, the family of Starkey. Mm -hmm. Well, you are part of our family too, Richard. And, and I can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate your sitting with us today and, uh, and sharing that. And please let me know if there's anything I can do for any of those 10 or any others. Um, you are part of the family and family takes care of each other. Oh, trust me. <laughs> if any of them has a hearing loss, you'll be the first to hear about it. <laughs> That's a deal. Well, uh, we appreciate very much uh, our listeners for listening to this episode of Starkey Soundbites. And if you enjoyed this conversation with Richard Pimentel, please rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also follow us or hit subscribe so that you're sure not to miss a single episode. And we'll look forward to seeing and hearing you next time. And thank you again, Richard. Thank you. I appreciate it.